Thank you very much, Karen. In light of the message of that song, in Scripture we can live with confidence, no matter what comes into our life. I mentioned this last Sunday, and I think it bears repeating. Um, this past Thursday night, a week ago, the some from the church board at High Point Baptist Church had come and prayed with our board you know, in this season of our ministry, and again, thankful for the body of Christ reaching out to us in various ways. And last Sunday night, and this not the only time that it has happened, but last Sunday night as some of the men were praying, I'm often, I can't say every time, but generally encouraged as I listen to people pray in our services, just as they pray, uh, how they pray, how they talk to God, probably one of the deep encouragements in my life just to listen to other people pray. So you guys that pray in services, thank you. You minister to me quite often. I trust to the other people also. But uh, thanks for prayer. <coughs> Dealing with the book of Job for a few weeks, not going through the entire book, but getting a general overview, focusing more on the beginning and the end. Next week we'll focus some on the middle. But as we think about Job, I want you to think and reason and consider as we discuss Job and we make some applications to our lives, the trials of life, whether it be individuals as a family or as a church. But to challenge us to think, these are thought questions, not looking for a response. What kind of faith does one possess if it comes after obtaining the answers he or she desires? What kind of faith does one possess if it comes after obtaining the answers he or she desires. Demanding the answers before you'll have faith. Does faith in the Lord need to know why when it faces pain and trials? Does faith in the Lord need to know why when it faces pain and trials? What kind of faith expects big events, excitement, and beyond the ordinary of life to be happening? What kind of faith expects big events, excitement, and beyond the ordinary? Nothing wrong with those items, but expecting it to be a reality in life. Think about those questions. We'll come back to them. We'll look at Job chapter 2 this morning. And as we look at Job chapter 2, keep in mind that in Job chapter 1, we're dealing with a man who was blameless. He's upright. He feared God. He shunned evil. He had seven sons. He had three daughters. He was a wealthy man, very wealthy. And we know that he is sensitive to God. He was responsive to God. And God allowed the enemy, Satan, to work in Job's life. And Job lost his wealth and his children along with most of the servants, one after the other. In Job 2, we want to pick up with reading. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming 
through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well, then. He is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. When Job's three friends, Elihaz, the Tiamite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zohar, the Naathite, heard all about the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word, because they saw how great he was. his suffering was. As we look at chapter 2, we find that the Lord initiates the testing of Job. It says, on another day, we don't know the time span between Job 1 and Job 2, but on another day, we find that, again, the angels come before the God to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also comes. And we know that when we get to chapter 2, Satan had lost the first round, if you want to say, in his battle with the Lord and in his battle with Job. And we know that it involves testing. The Lord is initiating what is taking place. And as I mentioned last week, that the Lord does value testing. All of us here value testing. None of us would get onto an airplane if we were told that the airplane has never been tested. Abraham offered Isaac, and that was a test. Israel was tested by the waters of Mamre and Elam. Manna in Exodus 16 was a test. Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, was a test. Jesus was tested after he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Peter writes to the believers in 1 Peter and talks about the test of their faith. So the Lord initiates the test we find that the Lord again knew Job. Because he says, uh, you know, after the interaction, the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord from roaming from through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? The Lord brings it up. And he says, there's no one like him 
He's blameless, he's upright, he fears God, and he shuns evil. The same testimony before the first test. Same testimony. And then the Lord adds, and he still maintains his integrity. Though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. In spite of the first test that he had been through, Job maintains his integrity. And from what you can find in the Hebrew, maintains involves a verb. And it indicates that Job, in fact, increased in his integrity from before the first test. Then going through the first test, his integrity would have increased. Trials have a way of doing that as we walk with God. His integrity, the idea of integrity is to be complete, to be sound, to have health. He maintained his integrity. And the Lord says, even though you, Satan, incited me. And the idea of incited has an evil connotation. Satan enticing the Lord to allow him to do what he does to Job. That is to ruin, to swallow up the destruction. Even though you incited me, Satan, Job maintains his integrity. But you incited me to ruin him without any reason. There was no reason in Job, nothing in his life, that would have caused God to respond as he did or to allow Satan to do what he did. It wasn't Job. And that comes out later on in the book also. Seems like the Lord knew Job and knew that Job would not yield. A couple thought questions. Does the Lord know your character, your actions, your relationships when he allows you to go through a test? Does he know that beforehand? Does the Lord know our character, our actions, our relationships as a church as he allows us to go through trials? Does the Lord know how you or I or we as a body have responded to trials at this point in time? I think the obvious answer to all of those questions is yes. So what happens? After the Lord allows Job or shares concerning Job, we find that Satan now accuses God, just as he did in Genesis chapter 3. He did it in chapter 1. He's doing the same here in chapter 2. Skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life. But stretch your hand and strike his flesh and bones and he will surely curse you to his face. What is Satan doing? Saying, Job is using God, not worshiping God. Job is using God for his physical well-being. He really don't worship God. Satan is also saying, also saying, God, you protect Job. 
Job doesn't worship you for nothing. He gets something. Health. So Satan brings up the issue of some type of physical attack. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to his face. Yes, he lost his children. He lost his servants. He lost his wealth. But do something to him in terms of his flesh and his bones. And he'll surely curse you. This seems to be a different type of temptation. There seems to be something about physical suffering that is different than losing something outside of oneself. Probably one of the items is that you can't escape it. No matter where you go, your suffering is with you. But we find that Satan accuses the Lord as he is and accuses Job as he brings up the issue of temptation. But Job is innocent. The suffering of the innocent is a mystery that defies all human logic. There is no neat, logical answer. So beware of using the Lord for answers or solving your situation before you will trust and obey him. We trust and obey him even in the darkness. So in that context, in light of a deeper type of trial, the Lord allows Satan to do his work. But he remains sovereign. Verse 6, the Lord said to Satan, very well then, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. Very well, he is in your hands, Satan. You have him, but. The Lord maintains sovereign, his sovereignty. He places some restrictions on Satan. You must spare his life. In trial, whether it be Job or Abraham or Jesus or what you and I may go through, what our local church or another local church may go through, we need to keep in focus that Satan does not have free reign. He can display much power, but he doesn't have free reign. So what happens? Satan has the power to afflict physical suffering on humans. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. 
So how do you get comfortable? If he stands, he has sores on the soles of his feet. If he sits, he has sores on the behind. If he lays down, he has sores. He turns over, he has sores. And Satan has that power. So we may ask, where did Job hurt? A better question is, where didn't Job hurt? Satan is displaying a great deal of power, able to afflict Job. Job didn't know what was going on. He didn't see behind the scenes. He didn't know why he lost his children, his servants, his wealth, and now his health. We're reading it from a much different perspective. To our knowledge, Job may never have known. When we go through trials, we don't always have to know the why. But in Job's case, he couldn't flee. His, in, his health is influenced deeply. What has the enemy done to me? Job could have said. Or what has God done to me? We may say, what has God done to me? What has God done to my family? What has the enemy done? Satan is a destroyer. He destroyed the ten children, or killed the ten children of Job, the servants. The animals were stolen. He doesn't care who gets hurt or who is destroyed. But the Lord remains sovereign. So imagine, if you can, Job suffering. He takes a piece of broken pottery and scrapes himself. And that may have some medical value from what I have read on can't say for sure what was wrong with Job, what type of sores, but there may have been some medical value to that. But then he said among the ashes. Picture this guy, sores all over his body, scraping himself and sitting among the ashes. Job's wife responds. His wife said to him, Are you going to hold on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Job among the ashes, scraping himself, and his wife says, curse God and die. Are you going to hold on to your integrity? Are you going to hold on to your soundness? Are you going to hold on to your personal health? You know, and how you respond to God. Think about Job lost his children, his wealth, his servants, and now his health. And he's maintaining his integrity.
So tomorrow the stock market crashes and goes to zero and you lose everything. An hour after that happens, you find out that everyone in your family dies at the same time. And an hour after that, you end up going to the hospital with an unknown physical ailment. And someone says, do you curse God and die? Why are you holding on to your integrity? Deny the Lord is sovereign. It almost seems like she is used as a tool to further discourage Job. Now, sometimes we're hard on Job's wife. Keep in mind that Job's wife lost 10 children. Job's wife lost her wealth. Job's wife lost servants. She didn't lose her physical health, but she lost what took place in Job chapter 1. What does Job do? He responds. You're talking like a foolish woman. The idea of foolishness would be not bringing the Lord into the picture. He doesn't say she's a foolish woman. He just says you're talking like a foolish woman. You're talking like a woman that is not bringing God into the picture. And notice his question. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Honey, should we accept good from God, but not trouble? Job is thinking, God's behind us. Why can we accept, Job in essence is saying, God's sovereignty and good? but not the evil. Why can't we accept God and praise God in the good? But when the trials come, why can't we accept that he remains God? Think about trials that you go through, your family may have been through or are going through. What we're going through as a church. Beware of demanding answers and explanations And knowing what's going on, because that leads into doubt. Beware of the why question, because many times that's not good. Shall we accept good from God, but not trouble? It's interesting then, in light of Job's wife losing her wealth, the death of her children... And the loss of a healthy husband. Keep that in focus. It's one thing to have a husband that is well. It's another thing to have a husband that loses his 
health. But Job still says, shall we accept trouble? We're good from God, but not trouble. So don't be too hard on Mrs. Job. She also lost her husband. He's still living, but looks terrible. Then we find three friends come along. They must have lived some distance away because they decide they're going to come to visit Job. They're going to, their purpose in coming, according to the text of Scripture, is to sympathize and comfort Job. Now, one of the things of tr- items of trials is loneliness that can be very, very difficult to deal with. Job lost his wealth. He lost his family. In some respects, he lost the blessing of his wife. So three friends are going to come, sympathize and comfort him. I love their response in verse 12. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. Why couldn't they recognize him? Because of sores all over. Barely recognized him. They began to weep aloud. Do you ever go to visit someone that's going through intense physical suffering and they're just not themselves and you start to cry? Is there anything wrong with that? I don't think so. Began to weep. They tore their robes and then they sprinkled dust on their heads, all indicative of the fact that they're sympathizing with Job. They're mourning with Job. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him. Why? Because he saw how great his his suffering was. Do you ever uh, go to sympathize with someone and comfort someone and sit for seven days and seven nights with them and not say a word? Is silence, is a silent presence long-term a good response in physical suffering? Is silent, a silent presence long-term a good response in deep physical suffering? I think so. Most of us, I don't think I've been through what Job is, but sometimes just a physical presence means much more than words. Especially if there's deep, intense physical suffering. The friends seem to get in trouble later on in the book but they do well to this point in time. And we'll discuss some of the responses, Lord willing, next week. But let's think about some applications. Satan seems to be observing people, what God is doing, 
and is somewhat knowledgeable what is taking place in their lives. It just seems to come through in the text. But he doesn't seem to know their heart, their thinking, or their desires. He seems to miss out on Job being a blameless man who had a godly life. Just take away his wealth, take away his physical health, and things will change. What we face in life as a church, as families, as individuals, comes through the sovereign hands of the Lord. Ponder that. What we face as a church, as families, as individuals, comes through the sovereign hands of the Lord. He knows how much we can handle as we trust Him. He knew the heart of Job. And it seems He knew that Job would not cave. Satan possesses much power, causing Job much physical suffering. We must remember that he is a defeated enemy. Ephesians 6, Colossians 2, Hebrews 2 brings that out. We cannot see the battle in the heavens, nor do we need to see the battle in the heavens. We rest in the Lord and in Christ. Job went through trials. He didn't see what was taking place in the heavens. When we go through trials, we don't see what is taking place in the heavens. But we can choose to rest, trust in the Lord. In the darkness, we do not need to see the entire picture. God is to be trusted. Many times in physical trials, as we strive to bring comfort, a physical presence is sufficient. And I say a word of encouragement here to avoid people when they're in physical trials is not wise. Don't withdraw. Go. Be present. You may feel awkward, still be present. Loneliness in physical trials is very great. Sympathize. Express comfort. What kind of faith does one possess if he or she, or if the faith, what kind of faith does one possess if it comes after obtaining all the answers he or she desires? It doesn't seem to be very much faith because I got all the answers, now I'll trust. Does faith in the Lord need to know why? When it faces pain and trials. No, because faith is in the Lord. Confidence in him. Whether the answer for why is known or not. What kind of faith expects big events, excitement, and beyond the ordinary of life? Nothing wrong with those. 
but it would seem to be a faith that values events and excitement and so on more than the Lord. We wrap it up. Will our faith continue when there are no answers? Will our faith continue when there are no answers? Will our faith continue when there is suffering and pain, but no explanation? Will our faith continue when there are no big events, excitement, and beyond the ordinary? Will our faith continue when the Lord seems silent? Job's kind of faith creates questions on the part of other people. How can they go through all that they're going through and still love God? Tell me about it. Let's sing together as we think about what we've discussed in the book of Job. Travis?